so early. <laughs> we'll, we'll race. Uh, hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am your host, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And welcome to the show today. It is uh, it is December twenty seventh. We are we're in that sweet spot in the calendar between Christmas and New Year's when everyone has mutually decided that none of us want to do anything um, except apparently Corbin's boss, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, so we're chilling, hanging out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. Um, oh my D, we got to be chilling. Uh, <laughs> and we figured we would have um, to, to just kind of keep things easy for us while we're keeping things mellow here, have a nice conversation about war. Um, and uh, I know like a year or so ago, we talked about some of the ins and outs of it. We figured we'd just have a redux of that conversation a little bit, add in some details and talk about maybe some more of the, some, some of the finer points uh, about it. Um, some of the, the more assumption-y parts about it that, that I think there's a little bit more room for discussion on just for fun, not trying to reinvent the wheel on anything. Uh, but before we get there, uh, just today, again, this is uh, December 27th that we're recording this, uh, we learned of the passing of uh, <clears throat> Hall of Fame pitcher Phil Necro. Uh, for anyone unaware, Phil Necro pitched for 24 seasons, predominantly for the Braves. Uh, he, pitched for, he pitched for the Milwaukee Braves before they became the Atlanta Braves, so he pitched for the Braves from 1964 to 1983 is age 25 to 44 season, which alone would have been a Hall of Fame career. Then he went on to play two seasons for the Yankees, uh, one and a half seasons for Cleveland, as well as a, a stop in uh, Toronto, and then close out his career back in Atlanta for one single game uh, before retiring. In that time, he led uh, he led the league in wins twice, posting two 20-plus win seasons. Uh, he led the league in losses four times, posting two in a row. Loss <laughs> in a yes, in a row. <laughs> uh, led the league in win loss percent once. Led the league in ERA. So I led all of baseball in ERA once. The 1.87 ERA in 207 innings pitched, which is wild. Um. He led the league in actually he led all of baseball in games started four times, led the league in complete games four times, led the league in innings pitched four times, led the league in hits three times, led in earned runs twice, home runs, not the good kind, the kind you let up, uh, four times, walks three times, led in strikeouts once, which is actually saying a lot for a knuckleball pitcher. Um, led in hit by pitches three times. Um, wild pitches three times, batters faced three times, and ERA plus once. He did not get the Cy Young, but he finished in uh, top five three separate times during his career and uh, finished sixth twice, along with accumulating a few MVP votes along the way. He was a five-time All-Star, a five-time Gold Glove winner, and a ERA title holder. I don't think he ever actually won or uh, was on a World Series team. No, he was not. But he still played with a, a handful of really great Braves teams and really great um, or kind of okay Yankees teams, really, uh, if we're being honest here. Uh, but, yeah, over the course of his lifetime, he accumulated 95.9 war, 318 wins, 
A lifetime ERA of 3.35, a lifetime FIP of 3.62, lifetime WHIP of 12.68, over 5,400 innings pitched, and um, 3,342 strikeouts. A ridiculous career. Um, And by all accounts, a really great man. This is a a guy who um, is largely credited, credited with revitalizing R.A. Dickey's career. Who ended up having a Cy Young season in a, in with the Mets uh, as a knuckleball pitcher? Still in, crazy. Uh, I, I, dude, I fucking know. Ridiculous. Um, oh, and I don't. Oh, Corn, are you on the baseball reference page for him? I am. Look at the top right corner. In the Hall of Fame. No, no, uh, that black bar running across the top right corner. Oh, for Phil. Okay, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. Baseball reference, very good with the the finer touches. Um. Mm-hmm. It's truly just a an astonishing career, um, and again by a guy who, by all accounts, is was a was a very good dude. So, um, your memory will be a blessing, Phil. We'll miss you. R.I.P. In peace. How crazy is it though that out of um, how many games did he fucking pitch in? He pitched in um, eight hundred sixty four games in his career, and two. Postseason games. Two. 13 years apart. You know, it's it's something I hope doesn't happen to other guys like Mike Trout. I know he's always going to be that um, or in that conversation until it comes to that point. But, man, it's it sucks seeing all-time greats just really struggle with that ability of, of getting to the postseason. And it's it. I guess it it speaks in large part to that thing about baseball that makes it baseball, which is you can't just buy a team. You know, you can't just buy up all the best players or even have one really big standout player and all of a sudden be the shit. Uh, A lot of it is is you know hot and timing and um, nowadays underlying stats that show how teams might perform under given circumstances or. Um, in certain situations, but uh, it is also at the same like it's 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 great for for basketball fans that if you have a player that was really good during the course of your life, there's a pretty good chance you'll see that player get a ring. Obviously, there are people who won't. You know, Patrick Ewing never got his. Um, you know, it took it took a very long time for um, fucking what's his goddamn name? Um, he's on the Nets now. Um, KD. Yeah, it took KD. He had to, he had to go to a super team to go do it uh, when he was with the, yeah. the Golden State Warriors. But he he still got it, and you know LeBron's got it for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. LeBron's got a bunch. You know, uh, Jordan got a bunch. Um, I guess Charles Barkley never got any. Fuck you, Charles. No, I'm kidding. I love Charles Barkley. Uh, but by, by and large, like you'll see your favorite player get one, um, which works to the benefit of the sport and the detriment, depending on how your view is, baseball is the exact opposite. You know, you could put Mike Trout on the Phillies like this year and the Phillies probably still wouldn't be shit. Mm-hmm. They just be they just be hot shit or sorry, um not shit just with Mike Trout. <laughs> like you can't just do it and and it sucks so fucking much because you get guys like Phil Necro who had amazing careers by and by and large um who just 
because of the teams they were on, never were able to scrape their way into the into the postseason and be able to to truly perform. But yeah. it's the way it goes. Yeah, it's just, you know, sports are inherently difficult when you have all of the best players all competing together on teams. And it's it's something where you expect good players to be able to carry their teams to the championships because all the great ones have typically had that built around them or have been able to build that around them to some extent. But it's just not the case. It's so much harder than people realize, even when, you know, even when people do say, oh, shit, that's going to be incredibly difficult. Like, it's no given. It's none of this. Like, it's still even harder than that. Uh, uh, yeah, sports, man, tough. So, real quick, uh, Phil Necro's best season was a 10-war season. His age 39 season, uh, a 10-war season in 1978. He finished sixth in Cy Young voting. How much war do you think the man who won the Cy Young that year collected over the course of the season? Uh, 6.9. Why? So Gaylord Perry, who is also a Hall of Fame pitcher, you know, Gaylord Perry who pitched for 22 years, he's got 90 war, He's got a hilarious a name. name. Yep. Um, also the holder of one of my favorite stories, um, because apparently Gaylord Perry was a pathetically bad hitter, which like for, 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 for pitchers, not even just in general, like all pitchers are, but like for, for pitchers was a bad hitter. Um, and one of his, and when he was with the Giants, one of his, um, his, his manager at the time, joked that we would put a man on the moon before Gaylord Perry hit a home run. And uh, he said that in 1969. And the day that the um, the uh, Apollo was Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Did I got the right number. Uh, sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. The day Apollo 11 landed on the moon, Gaylord Perry hit his first home run. Like, like an hour later. Good. So yes, we put a man on the moon, and then Gaylord Perry hit a home run. Uh, but anyway, so Gaylord Perry, you could literally double his uh, 1978 war, and you still wouldn't hit Phil Necro. It'd still be hard. And listen to the listen to the top ten in Cy Young vote getting in the uh, in the National League in 1978. Listen how stupid this is. Um, Gaylord Perry won it with 4.3 war. Bert Hooten of the Dodgers uh, came in second with 5.1 war. Vita Blue, shout out to Vita Blue, um, came in third with 5.8. J.R. Richard of Houston came in fourth with 4.1. Kent Tekulve of Pittsburgh came in fifth with 3.4. Then Phil Necro of the Braves comes in sixth with 10. Then Ross Grimsley of Montreal comes in seventh with 1.8. Raleigh Fingers of the Padres comes in with 2.5. Tied with uh, Raleigh Fingers, Tommy John, and Don Robinson all tied for eighth place with 2.5, 1.4, and 3.4 war, respectively. Um, 
and that 10 war sitting in like the middle of the order here is absolutely fucking bizarre right like a little bit yeah like it's so so oh all right so let, let's put it into context a little bit just to see if we can pick out a little bit where that huge gap is so i think if i had to pick a reason why gaylord perry won cy young that year it's because he had 20 um oh wait no yeah it's because he had 21 wins which led um the national league that season and if we know anything about uh baseball award voters it's that they really suck when it comes Mm to picking what stats to look at for uh um fucking what am i trying to say um which stats look or look at for distributing um awards jesus christ josh i'm trying to do two things at once and it's not going okay well. words are hard i i know just oh. much as anyone else yep. yeah i'm really struggling uh anyway so that because that's literally like the number of wins and win loss percent because gaylord perry also finished that season with only six losses uh, are the only two things that gaylord perry actually led the league in that year outside of that he still had a really nice season uh 2.73 era uh, 37 games pitched, 260 innings, um, a FIP of 2.63, a WHIP of 1178. Uh, this, this is this is a really nice uh, 154 strikeouts. This is a nice season. Mm-hmm. And let's look at Phil Necro's 1978 season, and he led the league in fucking everything. Um, firstly, he led the league in losses, which is obviously bad. He finished this year 19 and 18. Um, let's see how the Braves fared that season, because now I'm curious. The 1978 Braves f- finished sixth in the NL West at 69 and 93. Uh, God damn, that's ugly. Uh, so he had a third that, of their wins, though. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. They finished. They had 69 wins, and Phil Necker had 19 of them. God damn. Oh, God. It is a, yeah. So just a quick glance at their pitchers. Uh, Phil Necro is the only one with double-digit wins. Preston Hanna had seven. Larry McWilliams had um, nine. Mickey Mahler had four. Adrian Devine had five. No one else had more than five. That's fucking pathetic. Wow, that's fucking pathetic. Anyway, so Phil Necro um, led the league in losses that season. Had a 2.88 ERA. Uh, pitched in 44 games, starting 42 of them, um, finishing one, which means he acted as a closer, basically. Yeah, and he has one save, so he acted as a closer there. Pitched 22 complete games, with four of them being complete game shutouts. Um, how many complete games did Gary, uh, Gary, Gaylord Perry had that season? Uh, complete games, five. Jesus Christ. With two of them being complete game shutouts. It's not even the same realm. Um, he pitched 334 innings, just 70 more than Gaylord Perry. Um, he obviously also therefore led the league in, um, hits allowed and earn runs allowed, but whatever, who cares about that? Um, he also led the league and led all of baseball in batter's face that year, had a 142 ERA plus a 2.76 FIP an 1178, 1187, uh, whip, which is like nine points higher. Then um, Gaylord Perry's, but over a significantly larger amount of innings. Um, and finished the season that year with 248 strikeouts, a hundred more strikeouts than Gaylord Perry. 
Jesus. Yeah, like, 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 so, goddamn. Why is baseball like this? Ah, uh, because people don't know where to look, man. Well, I feel like they are getting definitely better at that now. Um, but yeah, I will definitely say, back in the day, they just didn't know what the fuck they were doing. No, and and this is how far it extends. So I'm I'm not going to list out all the names of uh, the people who finished top ten in Cy Young voting that 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 year. But I want to pull up for you. But if you recall, it was a list full of people who had um, not very high WAR that season. So I'm now going to read the names of the top ten WAR getters for pitchers in 1978, and you'll see that there's almost no crossover to how these people placed in Cy Young voting. So Phil Necker had the most war that season for any pitcher with 10. He finished sixth in Cy Young voting. Second was Ron Guidry, um, Lightning. Um, uh, he finished with 9.6 war, got no Cy Young votes, or at least didn't finish top 10. Uh, Mike Caldwell with 8.2, he didn't finish top 10. Dennis Eckersley, 7.3, didn't finish top 10. Dave Goltz, 6.6, didn't finish top 10. Jim Palmer, 6.4, didn't finish top 10. Bob Nepper, 6.3, didn't finish top 10. John Matlack, 6.2, didn't finish top 10. Vita Blue, 5.8, who was in the top 10. And then Craig Swan, 5.6, not in the top 10. So out of the top 10 war getters, the top 10 best pitchers of 1978, only two of them actually finished with a relatively significant amount of Cy Young votes, which is fucking crazy. It's very dumb. Like, Ron Guidry, 9.6 war in 1978. 9.6. Wait. Am I looking at the wrong year? This says Gaylord Perry. Oh, American League. God damn it, I fucked myself. Ron Guidry was in the American League. He did win the Cy Young that, that year. I didn't filter this by National League. Oh, Josh. <laughs> Classic Josh. Classic McGruber. Classic Josh. Oh, I would like to shout out real quick. I just looked up Mike Caldwell's page to see if he was AL or NL. Um, at the time, he was in the AL because Milwaukee was in the AL. Um, Mike Caldwell, 1978, 22 wins, 23 complete games, which means Mike Mike uh, Caldwell pitched a complete game loss. That's hilarious. How? How? Do we want to find right. out? I can I can find it out. Nah, that's fine. Alright, well now I'm curious. How do you pitch a complete game loss? Oh my god, it was his sixth start of the season, too. Oh my god, he pitched a complete game loss in the sixth game of the, his sixth start of the season against Kansas City. Eight innings pitched, eight hits allowed, three runs, all of them earned, two walks, four strikeouts, no home runs, one hit by pitch. Uh, and Milwaukee didn't score a single run. Oh, that's, that is just, that is just sad. That's sad. I am sorry. Grass. Sorry, but like, I am sorry. Well, now I'm curious if I can get this ALNL. Wow. All these guys are AL. Oh man. I was so wrong. Eh, oh well. At least I can admit it. I absolve myself of my own sins. Wow, is NL pitching that bad? All these guys are AL. This is crazy. Ah, yeah, Jacob DeGrom's real bad at baseball. 
Fuck you, Jacob DeGrom. Pitch for my favorite team or else I won't like you. Um. Anyway, do you want to... Jesus Christ, the Jets seem to stop winning these games. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a conversation for later in the day, maybe. Uh, do you want to talk about war a little bit, Corwin? Yeah. Yeah. So, Corwin uh, floated an idea for uh, a show uh, last week, which I would have really liked to do if it wasn't so dang hard, which was um, trying to back into what a 15-war season would look like. And I was doing some researches to, to see if I could find a, uh equation where I could just kind of like plug in stats and pop out a war. Unfortunately, the nature of war is too many formulas for me to do that simply. It would be way easier um, to just have, well, I guess if I was smarter with how to use like R or some shit, I could, I could do it a little bit more, more readily. Um, but war as it's, is, is actually a, a combination of several different metrics that are added and divided and whatnot. Um, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, one place I wanted to start off, because it was kind of interesting, is the idea of replacement level. And one of the things about replacement level that I didn't understand, or one of the things about war that I, or that I didn't know, um, that I am discovering as I was uh, reading the baseball reference page about war is that um, there is like a finite amount of war in the MLB in a given season. Go on. Right. So they, so the way they explain it is that they have a replacement level at, um, which they call, and they say it's a 294 win percent, which I'm not sure if that's for teams or if that's for players and there's something to that idea of win percent, but I'm going to ignore that for a second and just focus on the, the other numbers. Um, so they have a, I think that is team win percent. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so they say that a replacement level team is uh, a 294 team. Um, so the way that they look at it is if you take all 30 teams and you multiply 30 by how many games there are in a season, 162, and you multiply that by the difference between a middle of the road team, a 500 team and a replacement level team, 294 team, you end up with 1000 wins above replacement, which means that that is the maximum amount of war that can be a sum total of all war given out over the course of a year. And that's an interesting concept, which mm-hmm. also does make sense because, you know, Corwin and I have talked about it just over the past couple of weeks as we've talked about, you know, Hall of Fame voting, which is like, oh, how is this worth this much war in this year, but it's worth less war or more war in other years? And this is that basic concept, which is like, if, if all of a sudden, Everybody, and I mean everybody in baseball, starts hitting 25 home runs a season. Um, let's fuck it. 35 home runs a season. Everyone's now hitting 35 home runs per season. Um, your, guy, your average baseball player, Brett Gardner, is going to be worth less war. Because if everybody's hitting 35 home runs, welcome to the replacement level. Um, like You can't keep giving out six war for that. Because it's no longer... Yeah 
beating the replacement level. That now is the replacement level. So the idea that there is this finite amount, um, given that there is a finite amount of ball players that will ultimately play in the season, um, and there's a finite amount of games, and there's a finite amount of plate appearances, and all these things, does make it, I guess, make some intuitive sense that I guess I just never considered that there would then therefore be almost some level of zero sum to how war is distributed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know why it took us this long to figure this out or come to this realization. Because it's it's taken us a while now. Well, I... I it makes I, sense. Like, it makes intuitive sense that there is a baseline that you have to account for. Yeah, it makes sense. Because, like... If you if 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 we handed out, I, 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 I'm using the phrase like handed out, give out. I, that's not what it means. I, you know, it's not like we're not even we. <laughs> it's not like the people who control baseball media, the Jews. No, um, sorry, folks. Um, it's not like the people who handle like baseball, like sabermetricians, randomly decide who gets how much war. It's all equation driven. But for basic parlance, it's just a little bit easier to just say give out and shit. Um, but anyway. If 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 they were to distribute 500 war one year, and then 2,000 war the year next, that wouldn't make any sense because, mm-hmm. like you said, where is the baseline? What at what point are we starting to give out positive levels of war? Um, because if we gave out 500 to I don't know how many players ultimately play in a given season, um, 700 ball players last year. But we gave out two thousand to seven hundred ball players this year. That means that your average ball player was worth like a little bit less than one war last year, and your average ball player is worth like two point five war this year. And that just it—it's not going to add evenly. It's it 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 does it, it just doesn't make any sense. It wouldn't make any sense. And it is weird that I think we most often talk conversationally about war in the individual and not so much on the league basis, which is why this has never occurred to us. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now we have no excuse not to be smarter about all of this. Which means that every time your least favorite player does something really good, he's taking war away from your favorite player. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Time to uh, officially get me angry at baseball. Good. Good. This is a zero-sum game. Every every single time your least favorite ball player does something super cool, he's stealing war from Mike Trout. Fuck. <laughs> That's right. Oh, which is a hilarious way about thinking about it. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? No, uh, uh, never mind. So, <laughs> I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> so, war from there gets then divided. So that's 1,000 war distributed to the major leagues as a whole. They then have to split it up between position players and pitchers. And there's a kind of a finite amount that also gets divvied up there. Which group do you think gets more war in their pool of total war to be assigned? Batters or pitchers? Uh pitchers could no batters because i guess there would be less of them 
Um, it is batters, but I would assume there'd be more batters than pitchers. Well, I feel like there's well, there's probably. less meaningful plate appearances. Like there's a larger number of guys taking the larger chunk of plate appearances than pitchers. I don't know, but I guess then relievers would kind of get fucked out of that equation, which they are. I don't know. Yeah, that's actually a great question because your standard roster is actually probably, I don't know, um, 13 uh, pitchers to 12 batters or so, Mm -hmm. maybe even 14 to to 7. Well, no, sorry, sorry, 14 to uh, to 11. Um, Because you got got to field 8, not counting the pitcher. You got to field 8. Then you got to have a backup catcher to get you to 9. And then you usually have two bench players. Uh, to get you to 11. And some some teams roll with either a second backup catcher or a third bench player. So there are more pitchers on the roster. I guess it's a question about how much churn there is between positions. But I would also guess there'd probably be more churn with pitchers. Uh, anyway, um, you so you were... You're, yeah, you're right. It's it's 41% yes. of, of the total pool of war uh, is built there for pitchers and 59% of position players. Which is interesting because my thinking about it, and we got to the same place, which is why I'm very um, fascinated by our different processes, because uh, they also both make sense, is that um, everyone who's not a starting pitcher doesn't get high, high war. Like, unless you're a starter, you're just not getting a lot of war because you're not pitching a lot of innings. Um, mm-hmm. Like, a pitcher who pitches a lot of relief innings is still a very small amount of innings for a, a regular start. Like if you pitch sixty-five in or seventy innings as a reliever, that's a lot of that's a lot of innings. If you pitch seventy-five innings as a starter, that is not a lot of innings. That's that's like a yeah. half a season worth of innings, if that. Um, so, but even if you're a mediocre, like I don't know, first baseman, um, you'll probably get a decent number of reps, especially if you play in a DH league. So that, I figured there was just more opportunity for you to get. Um, just higher WAR levels as batters, but I think I think both of our responses make sense. However, is not how um I guess tech at least for how I'm reading this that is not how Baseball Reference just uh, divvied up those numbers. You want to know how they divvied up those numbers? I do. Salary. What? Fifty-one percent. Sorry, I, I, am the way I'm reading this. Over the past four seasons, uh, which is the, I guess, the rolling amount that they use to to divvy up um, these percentages, forty-one um, percent of team salary has gone to pitching, and fifty-nine percent has gone to position players. Hmm. And that's how they divide it up. Uh, I don't. I feel like my initial gut reaction without thinking about it is to be annoyed by the this being broken down by something as, you know, arbitrary as salary when that has been, you know, time and time again shown to be not exactly the most effective way of showing value. But at the same time, I I don't know if I should be. Yeah, I, I no, I totally get it. It feels very non-scientific, but at the same time, this is that intersection between raw statistical measurement and 
actual practicality of the situation. Because if teams are giving 59% of their payroll to position players, well, then in theory, WAR, which is measuring how much those position players are contributing, and uh, that assignment, which has a finite amount, it would make sense to match the amount that teams are actually spending on those players, especially when you get down the road and you start assigning um, dollar values to war to figure out how much players are quote unquote worth um, in respect to dollars and cents. Because if you don't have those two figures relatively equaled out, it might make that conversion pretty awkward. Um, so it's very, doesn't feel very graceful. And I still resistant to it, even after I kind of thought about it a little bit. Um, but it does make a level of sense that I also had not considered. Yeah. Again, just going back to, is baseball incredibly dumb, or are we just kind of dumb? <laughs> and and it's dumb. perpetually a combination of, two, of the both of them. Because, um, <laughs> again, like, you know, I one of the things that you hear all the fucking time on Twitter from uh, people who uh, are dumb is, uh, you know, the, the, the stats don't matter. What happens on the field matters. Um, and again, those mm. people are dumb <laughs> because stats measure what happened on the field. <laughs> um, and I love Yankees fans saying, I hate all this advanced metrics. I just want to win like the Dodgers do, which is like the most analytical team <laughs> in baseball. But okay. Um, anyway. There is a level there, though, that you have to, I think, take into account what is going on, not necessarily with that like whole on-the-field bullshit, but in the reality that is human nature as it pertains to decision-making and business strategizing and whatnot um, as you come into this, because there are assumptions that have to be made here, because you can't, literally, you can't. Um, assign a pitcher war based on his pitching stats, uh, but put up against a batter's war with his batting stats. Like it just, it just will, it just won't. There's no overlap. There's no mm -hmm. overlap between what a pitcher's doing what a, and what a batter's doing. So you're going to have to divide that up. But if there's a finite amount of war, you're going to have to figure out how to divvy up that resource first before you distribute it. And they are using. A, I would you know, not again, not what either Corwin or I thought, but still a pretty interesting way of dividing up that resource based on one of the realities that of of the business, one of the realities of of the league, which is how the teams value these two groups of players. And it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, baseball, you fickle mistress. Yeah, you tough bitch. Um, yeah. So there is a <laughs> there is there is a whole fucking lot that goes into the actual calculation of war. So war at its core is um batting runs plus base running runs plus fielding runs plus a positional adjustment plus league adjustment plus replacement runs divided by runs per win. So that in of itself is just a bunch of addition and then one single piece of division. The problem is, is that all of those different categories all have their own 
much larger equations and mm-hmm. their own sets of things that need to be accounted for, which is what made the concept of backing into a season really difficult because it's going to take a lot of more guesswork than just saying, like, what if we raise his batting average to 350? Um, because I don't know how to judge base running runs and I don't know how to judge fielding runs. Um, but I figured we could take a, a sneak peek here and looking at how those equations are built out. So the first one we have here is batting runs. And the equation for batting runs is um, weighted. What is it? What does WRAA stand for again? It's like weighted runs. Oh my God. Hold on. I had this written down. Weighted runs above average, um, which is uh, WOBA minus league WOBA divided by WOBA scale, and then all of that times plate appearances. So WOBA is weighted on base average. Uh, league WOBA is like the, the entire league's weighted on base average. And then WOBA scale is a number, is, is like, um, uh, oh, what do you call those fucking numbers? Um, that are just numbers. I forget. Integers? No, not integers. <laughs> when, when, when they're in an equation just to serve as a... Um, oh, constant? Constants. Yes, thank you. Goddamn. Um, I've been out of college too long, man. Uh, no, I'm, I should be farther out of college. I want to make more money. College, I was poor. Um, now I'm just broke. <laughs> um, so right, anyway. In spirit. Uh, <laughs> so, Woba scale is just a constant that will change from year to year, and it's based on um, League Woba um, as a way to, um, for one, bring that whole number as, as um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To, to bring that Something. entire top part of the um, fucking thing down. What's, I can't, th- what's the top part? Numerator. Jesus fucking Christ, Josh. Oh, these Josh goddamn number terms. Apparently so. Um, to, to, to bring the numerator down to be at a level where it can be better adjusted for it when accounting for plate appearances, because if you were to take WOBA and subtract League WOBA, you'd end up with a number that isn't quite going to look right if you just multiply by plate appearances. But if you divide it by a constant that is set to, in some ways, incorporate plate appearances and WOBA so that it brings you to um, a more readily multipliable number, for plate appearances, it'll all look better while also accounting for those different parts of your equation. So, but at the end of the day, all weighted runs above average is really saying is, let's look at WOBA. That's all that really is. And we've talked about weighted on base average before, and it it really is just um, taking into account different types of contact and um, different different types of hits and and whatnot. It, it, It sounds fancy when you say WOBA, but it's really... Nothing much. Um, what about Wumbo? Is that fancy? No, that's third grade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but now, I we don't need weighted runs above average to plug into our formula. We needed batting runs to plug into our formula. So we had to find. So you'd have to find that. So then you would take that weighted runs above average that we just found. You would add to that um, uh, league runs divided by plate appearances less um, uh, a park factor. So you have to go in and find all your park factors. Those are also constants that just account for the um, dimensions 
of different baseball fields just lead to different um, likelihoods of events happening. Yankees short porch will allot for more home runs than um, Dodger Stadium, which is bigger. Uh, the um, Green Monster in Fenway will allot for more singles and doubles than like literally any other left field wall anywhere because um, that stadium's stupid. But you, you get you, you get the point. In addition to different um, weather affecting the ball differently, yada yada yada. Uh, so a park factor being multiplied by uh, the league's uh, runs divided by plate appearances. That whole mess that I just read multiplied by plate appearances plus the league runs leagues runs divided by plate appearances minus um, the AL or NL non-pitcher WRC divided by plate appearances all times plate appearances and that's your batting runs formula so the point being is that that's a lot of shit and all this is really concerned with is um Figuring out runs per game, that's what um, I meant by league's runs. I didn't really use a great term for it. Um, it's like runs per game, basically. Um, to try to figure, to try to normalize all the, the normalize your park factor, normalize your, um, your, your, your pitching versus non-pitcher factor, and to um, bring that in to the WOBA factor that we have from WRAA. Uh, and also, um, use a, a little bit of weighted runs created to, to just add in a more generalized offensive factor in there as well. Uh, so <laughs> all that is to say that batting runs encapsulates actual hitting with weighted runs created. Um, actual performance, I'll say, with WOBA, because it's not ex-WOBA, it's just WOBA. Um, and then your park factor and your pitcher factor. So anything that could possibly be affected in just the batting part of things, so we're not talking fielding, just batting, is going to get put into your, your batting runs. And again, just backing into that one part of this equation sounds fucking awful. Mm -hmm. uh, base running runs is UBR plus WSB plus WGDP. That's right, folks. We're getting the gross <laughs> domestic product. Um, <laughs> Uh, so That's UBR, yeah, I know, baby, I know. Um, UBR is ultimate base running, which um, is just how well a player runs bases while not stealing, and how you find that, no fucking clue. Um, WSB is weighted stolen base runs, so literally just how successful are you at stealing bases versus league average. Um, and WGDP stands for weighted grounding into double plays. So again, uh, at what rate do you ground into double plays, and how much better or worse than you? Um, then league average are you at doing that? Obviously, you want to be um, better than league average at not grounding into double plays because those are one of the worst things you can do as a batter uh, with men on base. So I'm going to leave all those calculations to the side because they're relatively self-explanatory into what they're trying to get at, but that is the base running aspect of it. Um, then there's fielding, and fielding we've talked about before, that every place does everything a little bit different. You know, um, baseball reference does uh, pitchers war differently than uh, fan graphs does. And, um, you know, baseball savant, I'm sure, does like position player war differently than somebody else. Um, but fielding, but it's all like relatively close. Fielding is like, no, there's no fucking rules. 
It's the wild fucking west. <laughs> I don't care. As long as you can back it up with some level of numbers, it'll be good. So those those three are the first three things we have to add. Um, the batting runs, base running runs, and fielding runs. Now we have a couple of adjustments you'd have to make, and these should be pretty familiar. Uh, the first one is a positional adjustment. What position do you play? Um, if you're playing shortstop, that's going to be valued more highly than first base. If you're playing center field, it's going to be valued more highly than uh, left field uh, or right field. That, again, is going to change a lot depending on where you're trying to find your defensive stats and what season it is because they're going to have better outfield seasons some years than others, and it just is what it is. Um, but just understand that positions have different values. That's something that we've talked about a lot, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, then there's the league adjustment, and this is really only much of a thing um, for two reasons. One, because the National League lets pitchers hit, whereas the American League does not. And two, while the National League and American League play each other every season, they don't play each other a lot. So I think it's just there to account for um, the sample size differences. Um, because if the National League, for whatever reason, one year is just piss poor, um, you'll still have teams that look really, really good because they're playing just atrocious teams. Um, and that, that quality might end up ultimately averaging out to a point where if you put some of those even middling teams in the National League into the American League, they would get absolutely fucking railed. Um, think about how the NL Central performed in the playoffs just this past season uh, when having to face real competition. Um, the Cubs looked fine. The Reds looked vulnerable, but okay. The Cardinals looked vulnerable, but okay. And all the teams that got sent from the NL Central got fucking demolished the second they hit the regular se- the postseason. Um, because they didn't have to play anybody outside their own division, and so they bolstered each other up to look better than they were, and it turned out that those teams were all bad. Uh, <laughs> so if you're a fan of any of those teams, fuck you. Um, hey. A statement we can all agree with. Yes. So that's the second adjustment that needs to be made, is it, it really is just, um, you know, here's the league we play in. We're going to either gain points or lose points here. Uh, and then the last, the last bit of it um, is the um, replacement runs. And again, this gets into that like conversation about how you measure replacement level uh, that we had a little bit at the beginning of this discussion. And again, how you determine um, replacement level is going to be different kind of for everybody. Um, there is a calculation that I have here that I, I like, that I found. Um, so I'll use this. Um, so for, um, hold on a second. I'm confusing myself a little bit. Oh, okay. So for, for a position player, uh, 590, that is a constant that comes from the 59% of the 1000 total war that we mentioned previously, because this is position players. So 590 multiplied by um, number of game by games played or MLB games. I guess that's total MLB games. Sorry. Total MLB games divided by 2043 uh, because that 1000 war is over the course of a presumed 2430 games played, which would be, I guess, the total sum of all games played in baseball in a given season. Um, let me do that math actually real quick. Um, cause that should be pretty easy to do. 
Um, yeah, so it would be uh, 162 times 15, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Nailed it. And then, anyway, so 570 times uh, MLB games divided by t- uh, 2430 uh, and then multiplied by runs per win divided by league average plate appearances um, times plate appearances. So runs per win, we have another formula, which would be nine uh, as a constant, just as, you know, innings, basically. Nine uh, times uh, runs scored uh, divided by um, innings pitch times 1.5 plus three. Um, or innings played, I guess, if we're doing this position player-wise. So, uh, you know, that just is another batting thing. Um, or production thing, but point being, this is just to determine where in the how much better or average than av- be- better or worse than average you would find yourself as being to tack on as a final adjustment piece. Um, and I really think when you get down to this part of it, honestly, it's not even it. If you're above replacement level as a player. It will show before you get to this part of the equation. Mm-hmm. If you're belting out home runs like fucking nonsense, it'll show up before you get to the replacement level um, part of the adjustments that we need to make here uh, to this formula to reflect whether or not you're better than replacement level. Um, it'll be obvious in the stats sheet if you're if you're above or b- uh, below replacement level if you're doing it high enough. Guys on the cusp who are batting like 250 and might get over the threshold based on defense or some shit. That'll be difficult to tell. But if you're if you're hitting 35 home runs a year, we know. <laughs> we all know. Um, and then the final step is dividing by runs per win, um, oh, which is that equation I read at the bottom. So that is the whole shebang of it. Um, which laying out, and that little last point I made about whether or not you know someone's above or below replacement level, um, really goes to show how intuitive, honestly, it is. It's obviously also complicated because there's a lot of ins and outs. There's a lot of different numbers you're going to need to pull from different places. There's, you know, a lot of this is like you got to go find this, then you got to go find that, then you got to go get this, which is, of course, going to be easier if you do this like for a living or some shit. And you have all these numbers in an Excel spreadsheet just waiting to be plugged and played. But they're built around what you see on the field. Like, no one's getting nine war without doing the things that baseball players obviously should be doing well. No one, no batter is getting nine war without hitting a good chunk of home runs or hitting a bunch of doubles, having amazing defense, being getting a bunch of stolen bases. You know, like, there's no way to do it without being great. There might be mm-hmm. ways for you to get, you know, be one war over replacement level um, in like a sneaky way where everyone thought you sucked, but you were low key good. Um, we see this a lot from catchers, uh, but there's no way you're that. That's the finer points of it. Being obviously good to where, you know, redneck Joe could see it is going to lead to everyone understanding that you're probably going to have a pretty high war because if everyone was that good, no one would care that you were doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
I talked a lot. Do you have thoughts? No. Fuck you. <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's like y- you surmised it in a way where it doesn't really leave room for us less smart people to really add in original constructive thought. Yeah, like that's all very much intuitive. You know, a guy who hits, you know, like a David Fletcher who's going to make fantastic contact every single game and hit, you know, three, four singles, you know, every couple games isn't going to make it that high because the value that those bring aren't inherently enough to get nine war out of a season full of them. You know, you need to excel at the more difficult aspects of baseball to be able to accrue that kind of value and that kind of war. And, And those are the players that we see dominate this category like guys like Mookie Betts guys like Cody Bellinger guys like Mike Trout all do the difficult things very very well hitting home runs playing defense hitting for power speed everything involved and that's how they get to such incredible heights you're just not going to get that from a pretty mediocre or even above average player who happens to have a really great season. You can't luck your way into 10 war or nine war. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to use Gary Sanchez as an an example of this. So in 2018, Gary, this is Gary Sanchez's season in 2018, 89 games, 374 plate appearances. Um, 60 hits, 17 doubles, 18 home runs, um, one stolen base, all right, uh, 46 walks, 94 strikeouts. Um, God damn. His slash line was 160, 186, 291, 406. That is an OPS of 697 and an OPS plus of 89. Um, and that's bad. Like, that is really bad. Bad. His war that season, one point one, and he makes up for it in and and you know the eighteen home runs is helped. The seventeen doubles helped. He had more home runs than doubles. Um, so the four oh six slugging isn't great, but it is significantly better than the batting average and the O on base percentage, which help bolster up in a way that isn't so obvious because your eyes clearly drawn. To how bad those that batting average on on base percentage is, and Gary Sanchez had positive D WAR that season, so that actually helped a lot too. So even though this mm-hmm. season on the back of the baseball card is atrocious, um, it gets built up in places that might not be so obvious, um, at, including defense and some of the the rate stuff with like with with the, with the home runs. Um, that he ended up actually having a plus one season. But, like we were just saying, the fact that that's not obvious is what war is kind of there to show us. Instead, if we look at Gary Sanchez's 2017 season, his season looked like this. 122 games, um, 131 hits, 20 doubles, 33 home runs, 40 walks, 120 strikeouts, a slash line 
of 278, 345, 531, good for an OPS of 876, an OPS plus of 126. Um, and he finished that year with just under four war. And that seems more obvious. It's not even, a, we're not even getting into five, six, seven, or 10 war seasons. Just the fact that he was four wins above replacement, which is a nice little chunk. Um, just, is That alone is clear from, from these stats. That is part of the intuitive nature of it. That is an obviously good season. Not a super great season, but a clearly good season. And it is shown that way in what the underlying math is going to tell you. And that's really what it's there for. Absolutely. Now, if only we could figure out how to convince Corwin? voters from 1970 that they need to pay attention to it. Corwin. Yeah. Hello? Did I meet myself? No? It's picking up audio. Yo, dude, I fucking unplugged my headphones by mistake. I like, I like stepped and like pulled my headphone jack out and didn't even notice. Yeah, like I checked and was like, oh, I can't be the one who fucked it up this time. So, yeah, no, I went to go play a video on YouTube and couldn't hear anything. I was like, why? 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 Yeah, yeah, just no, it was me. What were you saying? Um, now we just need to figure out a way to convince people from 1970 to pay attention to this kind of shit. Never gonna happen. <laughs> Never. Sad. Oh, sad. Uh, all right, final baseball well, topic. About philosophy. Me and my nan drinking a cup of tea. Thanks. Sorry. You said why a couple times and it reminded me of the that song. What song is that? Um... Hippopotamus by the okay. Uh, All right, that good. That's what I thought because that's exactly yeah. what I was saying. <laughs> what I was going I'm for. The... Why? Why? Why would you say that? Be more specific. Because I rap about philosophy while me and my dad are drinking a cup of tea. There ain't I'm no the hippopotamus. Like I'm the hippopotamus. Hey, oh. That's a gangster's Say my rhymes are sissy. Why? Why? Be more constructive with your feedback. <laughs> oh, I fucking love that goddamn. They call me the hip hopopotamus. My lyrics are bottomless. <laughs> End of song. Uh, All right. Okay. Uh, one final thing uh, before um, before we wrap up the baseball talk. Um, I found a fun section of baseball reference I did not know existed called the Cup of Coffee batters, and pitchers. So, Corwin, let's talk about some dudes who made a single appearance and then were never heard from again. Deal. 
So these are these are these are guys who came up and played literally one game in baseball and then were never seen again. Um, Bill Necro. <laughs> nope, he played a whole bunch of them. Um, ah, that's not fun. So I was going to say the the uh, the first thing I want to look at with the batters was who has the most home runs for our one single game appearance. People, uh, on, there's only one person who has hit a home run uh, in his only plate appearance, but. He also did it in September 4th of ni- of 2020. So chances hey, are we'll see him later. Shit, um, I just shared that to the world. Oh, well. Happy birthday, Corwin. Thanks, in December. Um, you know so what? Chances- I realized I could just announce your birthday and just get that whole thing cut from... No, because you would just cut that out. Yeah. Shit. Uh, so actually, Corwin, this player just hit his first home run in his only game of the season this past baseball season. And it is a member of the San Diego Padres. Do you know who this is? So he was called up. He played in one game, and that's the on your only, birthday. On my birthday, it's the only game he played, and he hit a home run in the only game he played in. And it was his first call up. Literally the only game of his career. But like, uh, fuck, uh, I don't know. All right. It's Luis Campusano. Ah, the fucking catcher. God damn it. So <laughs> So he has a lifetime war of 0.1 off of one home run. So his his plate appearance to war ratio is off the fucking charts. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. That's actually kind of amazing. So So he has four plate appearances to one war. So sorry, to zero point one WAR. So if he had, so hold on, that's um four divided by, or sorry, uh, zero point one divided by four. All right. So if he had a standard amount of plate appearances for a season, which is six hundred fifty plate appearances, that is a sixteen point two five WAR season. <laughs> so that's it. We've solved it. How do you get to fifteen WAR? You be Luis Camposano. I can't you believe a home that run a game for the entirety of your career, your season. I can't believe that we started this episode off with, yeah, so we couldn't figure out how to back into 15 more. And then uh, by mistake, we did it at the end of the episode. Yeah, all you need is Luis Camposano's OPS plus of 383. That's nothing. Ain't shit. So this is his slash line. 333, 500, 1333. Good for an OPS of 1833 and an OPS plus of 383. And because he showed up as a DH, he has no D war to drag him down. Yeah. He, hey, he could just end up being alone. He could end up being an excellent defensive catcher and having positive D war. This is amazing. Oh my God. I love this. <laughs> oh man. Um, stupid people, Josh. The stupidest. And I, I'm proud of it. Uh, the player with the most hits in one single um, in in their only plate appearance or their only game of their MLB career belongs to St. Louis Browns player Ray Jansen in 1910, um, who on September 30th uh, had five plate appearances, five at bats, and four hits, um, batting 800 on the year at third base, never to be seen again. Like he died? No, he just didn't play baseball again after that. Uh, what if that was 
Um, why do you like? Do we know any reason? Like, obviously, we know Luis Camposano. Like, he's he's still just had, up, yeah. yeah, like he's gonna play a long time in the majors. Do we have any reason for why any of these other guys? No, a lot of these guys are like. So I'm looking at the hits leaders. A lot of these guys are from pre 1950, and with a good okay. chunk of them being like pre 1930 and pre 1900. Wow. So I'm gonna guess a lot of this was like. Uh, so let's see. Let's take a look at Ray, Ray Jansen. I'm gonna guess he was really young and just like chose a different career. Um. So in 1910, um. He was 21. So yeah, if I had to wager a bet, I would I would bet that he was just like, eh, I don't really want to play baseball. I'll go be something different. Because in 1910, baseball was like, hey, I got a free night. I'll go play for the Browns. Um, whereas today, it's like I have been playing baseball for 19 years and I am 20, and we are now going to. I am now going to go sign a 500 million dollar contract with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, to play baseball forever, um, like it's like you can't just be like I'm gonna stop playing baseball or I'm gonna start playing baseball. You've either been doing it or you're never doing it. Or be Kyler Murray and just decide no. I'm better at football anyway. That's I. That's my Kyler Murray because he's very small. <laughs> um, Have you ever heard of a uh, uh, the Gridiron Heights? It's like an animated short that Bleacher Report puts out every week the NFL season. No, I have not. Uh, really funny, uh, and that's exactly what Kyler Murray sounds like. <laughs> it's fucking oh, fantastic. That's great. I'll have to look it up. Um, real quick, just to finish this out, there are three. So there are four batters who have three or more hits in their only game of their careers. Uh, Ray Jansen has four. Um, Frank Cross who played one game on May 20th of 1901 for the Cleveland, I guess they were the Spiders at that point, um, had three hits in his one game playing in the outfield, uh, a 600 batting average, an OPS of 1,200. Um, Aubrey Epps, who had his one game with the Pittsburgh Pirates on September 29th of 1935, had three hits in four plate appearances and scored one run, only guy who scored a run, and he had a triple. Good for him. Three RBIs. It's a very tidy little uh, 2,000 OPS at catcher. How did this guy not play more? Um, and the only other guy to have more than uh, two hits was Joe Pat Pachorek, uh, who played one game September 29th, 1963, for the Houston, I guess at this point they were probably the Colt 45 Oilers. still. Um, three hits. Uh, th- five plate appearances, three at-bats, four runs scored, three hits, uh, three RBIs, and two walks. Um, good for a 1,000 batting average, a 1,000 on-base percentage, a 1,000 slugging percent, and a 2,000 OPS. Just fucking hilarious. What was your batting average? Never missed. <laughs> what was your on-base percentage? Never never did make it the first. Jesus, that guy was probably unbearable at like ninety years old. Are you kidding me? I'd uh, be unbearable that night. Well, yeah, first I imagine majors, like I got on first every time. Yeah, all right, your hubris would be off the wall. Yeah. Um. What's really interesting though is so Ray Jansen, Aubrey Epps, and Joe Pachorik, or however the fuck you pronounce that guy's name, all September 
September call-up days, 9.30, 9.29, 9.29, which would make sense. It's like, hey, right. we got a rookie. Let's bring him up, see how he does, blah, blah, blah. Um, Frank Cross came up in May and then never played again? Who brings a guy up in May to then never give them another game? Um, Probably someone whose wife slept with him that night and then, I don't know, was either murdered or sent down out of pure hatred afterwards. Uh, sure. He was hey, the- man. All I'm saying is there's there's possibilities. There's there's stuff that could happen that all would right, cause so- him to not like to be completely blacklisted. Hold on. So Frank Cross has two brothers who also played baseball. Okay. So Frank Cross is the guy that I started talking about with his 0.1 WAR from his uh, his one game played. His brother Amos Cross. Um, he played in 117 games. He played from 1885 to 1887 for the Louisville Colonels. <laughs> um, his OPS plus by season, you may ask? It was 91 in 1885, 132 in 1886, and then negative 32 in 1887. What the fuck? Yeah, in 1887, his slash line was 107, 138, 107 for a 245 OPS and a negative 32 OPS plus. He had played. He had 29 plate appearances, 28 games, three hits, all singles, one walk, no strikeouts. Baseball, why are you so fucking weird, man? I know. So he he finished his career with a 1.4 WAR and a 110 OPS plus. But there was another brother. So we've got Frank Cross, 0.1 war. Amos Cross, there was four 1. brothers? 4 war. No, th- uh, two brothers. Three crosses Wait, total. Um, oh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> his brother, Lav Cross. Lave Cross? L-A-V-E Cross? Lava Cross? I don't know. Um, but Lav Cross, 46.6 war. He played in 2,277 games in his 21-year-long career. That spanned from 1887 to 1907. Um, He played for the Louisville Colonels, the Philadelphia Athletics, also the Philadelphia Athletics, but listed as PHQ. Hold on, I have to dig into that a little bit. Um, Played for the Philadelphia Phillies, the St. Louis Browns, um, the Cleveland Spiders, uh, the Brooklyn Super Bass, back to the Philadelphia Athletics. And then finished his career with the Washington Senators. Um, I don't understand this. Why were there two different... Phil- oh, these are two different Philadelphia Athletics. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. There were two different Philadelphia Athletics in different conference, different leagues. So... He played in the 1889 Philadelphia Athletics, who played with the American Association. And then in 1890, he played with the Philadelphia Athletics of the Players League. Oh, my what? God. I don't, I don't know. Um, so the Players League must be the odd one. Because they had the... the No. They, hold on. So they had the Boston Reds. The Brooklyn Ward Wonders, the New York Giants, okay, the Chicago Pirates, um, the Philadelphia Athletics, the Pittsburgh Burgers, 
<laughs> the Cleveland what? Infants and the Buffalo Bison. Oh my God, the Cleveland Infants. Um, this is amazing. Whereas the American Association had the Brooklyn Bridegrooms, the St. Louis Browns, the Philadelphia Athletics, the Cincinnati Red Stockings, Baltimore Orioles, Columbus Salons, um, the Kansas City Cowboys, and the Louisville Colonels. What the fuck am I looking at? I do not know. So at 93 and 44, the Brooklyn Bridegrooms were the winner of the American Association uh, pennant in 1889. What the fuck? The Brooklyn Bridegrooms. Oh, Corwin, I'm never going to stop looking at this. Oh, my God. All right. I have to navigate away. Um, Real quick, just to cap out the the, the cup of coffee players, um, the pitcher um, with the most strikeouts in their only game ever with eight strikeouts went to Bob Dresser, um, who pitched one. Wait, what? Bob Dresser pitched in one game. Pitched a complete game, nine innings pitched. Oh, allowed six runs. Three of them were earned, um, but got eight strikeouts. So he finished his career with an ERA plus of actually 99 because his ERA overall was three, but with a negative 0.1 war. It's kind of funny. Um, he pitched a complete He pitched a complete game, eight strikeout game, and didn't pitch again in the majors? That's wild. Again, though, 1902. Um, the second most strikeouts, though, is a tie between Charlie Guth of the Chicago Cubs in 1880 with seven and Chris Sienz of the Milwaukee Brewers in 2004. So Chris Sienz, 2004, debuted April 24th of 2004 for the Milwaukee Brewers, pitched one game, um, pitched six innings, two hits, no runs, no home runs, uh, three walks, Seven strikeouts, uh, one hit by pitch, and got the win. He, he he won that won that game and never pitched again. I just want to say, oh shit! I already forgot. Fuck me. Tell me what you just want to say. Oh fuck! I can't. All right, I'd, I'd have to think on it. Shit. All right, I, I I have to look up what happened to Chris Sienz because this is this is how do you how do you only pitch one game with seven strikeouts and where you get the win? Oh, I was gonna say the guy who had eight strikeouts in a game but gave up all of that when he got like when he was starting and he was doing all his shit. I have to imagine the coaching staff was like, wow. Wow, 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 wow. Just back and forth the entirety of the game. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a lot of up and down emotion there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I really hate the meme you sent me. Ayo, fuck the Jets. I, 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 I agree. God fucking damn it. I hate this so much. I hate it so much. <laughs> Please start losing more. Uh, anyway, Two. so apparently... so. So Cyan's pitched that one game, 
because I've now mm-hmm. looked this up and I I must share it with the world. So he, he pitched that one game, um, got the win, and then got sent back down to double A. So he came up from double A and did that? Okay. So then he didn't get called up for the rest of the season. Lord knows fucking why. Um, because the Brewers weren't good at that point, were they? I didn't think so. Um the 2004 Milwaukee Brewers finished sixth in the NL Central at 67 and 94. So, yeah, that's not a good team. No reason to do that. He was then given free agency, re signed with the Brewers in 05, but missed all of 05 and 06 because he had elbow surgery. Then in 07, he signed with Anaheim, got sent to double A, but walked 31 guys in 46 innings and was released and then never uh, got back into the farm system of any major league team. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that's fucking wild. What a ride. My God. Right? Huh. Uh, all right, now I have nothing left to say about baseball. <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. Um, outside of that, so, you know, like Corwin and I were just joking, the Jets are winning. It's terrible. I hate it. I, I hate it so much. Um, and I'm sure we'll have something to say about it um, for the non-stats episode upcoming. Uh, but that's a longer discussion as it pertains to um, draft status and all that type of shit. So we'll get there when we get there. Um, Corbin, do you have anything else to say, I guess, before we kind of bounce out of here? Um, no, I don't think so. All right. Then, yeah, uh, nothing, nothing pertinent. Let's leave it all on the field then. Um, that's the show. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. Um, and until uh, until next time, until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.